Hello and welcome to episode two of Studs Up, a brand new sports podcast linking the worlds of football and horse racing brought to you by the good people at Odds Checker and Skybet. Each week I am joined by my Studs Up strike partner Charlie Austin and will be joined in a few moments time by a special guest. But Charlie, as always, we're going to kick things off by finding out about what has been for you a very successful week. Well done with your 50th goal for QPR. How uh, how satisfying was that, mate? Yeah, hi, mate. Yeah, very satisfying, especially when we won. It was a big win to go to Watford and win 2-1. Tough place to go, especially with the teams around us picking up results over the weekend. So that was a very important important game for us on a personal level to achieve that that mark and that landstein of getting 50 goals get to that milestone is massive for me and I'm I'm delighted to do it and it's the first person to do it for since Paul Furlong. Yeah, it's a tremendous achievement from you. So well done, mate. Um, I've got another bone to pick with you. I started off episode one by saying to reserve your, your incredible nuggets of information that you shared with Talk Sport Breakfast viewers. Well, this time round, I was watching with real admiration after your 50th goal and your man of the match performance. And in your interview, you mentioned the racing post, but you didn't give any mention to studs up. What are you oh, thinking, mate, man? I don't even know. And it wasn't until I got home, right? I've gone to the I've gone to the wife. I can't, why have I mentioned them for? Why have I not just said on my podcast, studs up, that was out on Friday? Free plug. I can't believe I didn't do that. Missed opportunity, mate. So uh, but you took your opportunity with the goal. So, um, well done with that. Delighted for, for QPR to get the win and for you to get your 50th goal. You also did a bit of co-coms as well, didn't you, for um, the Leicester-Fulham game. Are Fulham really bad, I guess, bluntly? Yeah, I watched the Fulham-Leicester game. Yesterday. Leicester were very good first half, but for a team fighting down the bottom, Fulham look very short and they don't look like they're... Yeah. Don't look like they've got that fight and that aggression, that hunger to get themselves out of that situation because they started very slow first half and Leicester went on to score the first goal. And then just before half-time, great team goal by Leicester to pretty much put the game to bed. They showed a little bit of fight in the second half like you'd expect Fulham, but other than that, they weren't good at all. Right. Enough from us, because each week we are joined by a big name. A special guest joins us in the Studs Up dressing room. And I'm delighted to say that we are joined this week by a good friend of mine, and Chazes, And he is a former Liverpool Stoke Blackpool Rangers and currently at Dundee footballer, who's a huge horse racing fan. It's a very warm Studs Up welcome to Charlie Adam. Charlie, uh, thank you so much for for joining us on on Studs Up. I, I said the same question to Ali when I introduced him last week. Marrying the worlds of football and racing is is kind of ideal for you, is it not? No, it's brilliant. It's um, if it's not racing or football, it's probably golf for me. I love that's the three sports for me, and um, you know I got into it at a young age and been to so get some good good tracks, and and you know I love watching it, even if I. You know, just just sat on the sofa, just like watching the racing and, and being around it. Um, and as they get older, kids get into it as well. My daughter's into it now as well. So that's costing me a few quid every month paying for, for hospitals. Does she ride? Yeah, she rides. Yeah, we just, um, she had a, we just bought her a, a four-year-old pony who, you know, and I don't understand it, lead rain or something. And now she's off that and she's doing it herself. So she's only six and um, yeah, it's cost me a few quid every month. It's great for her and it's it's good for me because I enjoy even mucking out. I enjoy mucking out and and then things like that. So it's it's good for the family as well. We might have just unveiled on studs up the next Holly Doyle in the form of Charlie's daughter. Do your kids get uh, get involved in riding or horses, Chaz? No, mate, no chance. They like they like going up there feeding them carrots. That's about as much as what they <laughs> like doing. Uh, no way, mate. I've, don't get me wrong. I've got I took the closest thing I've got to. The horse, mate, that's in my house. It's like the rocking horse, unicorn. My little man gets on that, goes around the, goes around the kitchen like that. I sent a picture to the trainer, Richard Anna. I said, I think I've got a new jockey here. He went, turn to stick to that. He said, turn to stick to the hat. Don't come up there. <laughs> um, yeah, look, we, you're right. We'll talk about the racing side of things in a, a few moments' time. But um, plenty to get through. As always, Charlie and I will have our, our weekend double. We'll tell you about the Skybed offer a little bit later on. And we'll talk about Charlie's love of 
of racing and already you can see that there's very clearly a, a, a big love for the sport but before that let's talk about your football career because that's what you're best known for Charlie and um, you're back in Scotland now with Dundee which is where it all began for you at Rangers I know that Chaz has spoken about having a purpose was that why you went to Dundee to get playing football again and to enjoy it again I suppose well, listen Ollie I, I, I understand where my career's at I was 34 you know 35 in December there and it's not going to last forever, is it? You know, you, you have to go and finish and, and play where you're happy. I think there was different circumstances, really, for me. I was probably going to go to Australia. I had an offer to go to Australia at the time um, on a contract. And um, obviously, the COVID hit. Family couldn't move for three months without me. And I, it just never happened. And obviously, this deal to Dundee happened. Mum fell ill. Um which was another big reason for me to go back home as well. And um, that made the decision a lot easier for me. I signed there and, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm loving playing. And, you know, let's say if I can go and play in my boyhood club, which I supported as a kid, which is even more extra special for me, it's, it was a great opportunity. Yeah, uh, Charlie, now going back, the enjoyment, and like you say, your mum obviously become a nil, but going back there for you, um, going to your boyhood club who you supported, is it good fun going back to the dress room and, and represent the team that you wanna that you wanted to support as a young boy? Yeah, no, it's it's huge because you know playing at the top, like, like you've played at the top as well at your Liverpool. You know me playing at Liverpool, and you played in the Premier League for a long time at Southampton and things like that. So it's when you go back, you you sort of go back into a dressing room where the younger kids are looking up to you. You know you're the experienced one day. They take everything that you say, they're looking at you, they're taking all your information in. And, and it's a great learning curve for me as well because it's management and coaching something I want to get into. I'm getting that opportunity as well at the same time. So it was it was the right time and the right move for me. And um, you know, I'd never moved away from home. Blackpool was a base for me that I was at and we'd never moved any clubs I went to. So it was the first time we'd actually moved as a family and um, we're enjoying it. But... As you say, we're in the middle of a lockdown again and, and there's not really much we can do without, you know, until the lockdown finishes. But on the football side, I've loved every minute of it and um, uh, I'm loving playing. I do agree with what you said there, Charlie. When you go back, the younger lads coming through do hang off every word you, you say. Do yeah. look at you, what you're doing in the gym, before training, after training, even in training. I had it today where Ilias Chair gave away the ball and his first reaction was a little bit of a freeze. And I just went on a four, Ely, get the ball, get the ball. Full wet, shouted at him. All of a sudden, he's made this 60-yard dart back to chase a man who then makes a mistake to win the ball back. The other lads are looking around thinking, six weeks ago, he was never doing that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So if you see you get after the young lads, all of a sudden, they're thinking, right, my standards have almost got, I've been here, but if he's asking me to be here, I've got to get up to that. I've got to reach them. Yeah, no, and it's brilliant for me. We... Um... So the other day we had a midfield meeting. So we played a, a, tw a three twenty-minute games against each other the, the other day, and you know we got we got five or six young lads who you know sort of play similar position midfielders and things like that. And obviously I'm the senior one in that group, and and the, the, one of the younger coaches that we have, Scott Robertson, who I was at school with, he's one of the coaches, and um, he said to me, "I'm having a meeting on Monday afternoon," and I said, "Oh, okay then." So I went along. Two and a half hours debate we were there. It was brilliant. What the session he put on from where we'd played the game and the mistakes that the young players made, just small difference for them, like body position, the midfielders and getting closed down. And then I was given my input on, well, why don't you do this and this? And it was just, it was great debate for young kids at 18 to be able to speak up and, and, and to have their opinion. And that's the problem now in, in the dressing room is it doesn't matter what age you are, if it's 18 or 35, you've got an opinion the same as everybody else. Eh? And it was good that they actually. They embraced it, they enjoyed it, and, and I, lo I loved it and seeing them, you know, trying to take it on board. But I could see them now, when I first joined the football club, I could see them still trying to pass me the ball every time. And I kept saying to them, listen, it's not all about me. It's about going and expressing yourself. Do your thing that you've, that's got you to the first team. It's can you do it on a consistent level now. And um, it's, it's great, great to be part and helping them. And it's a different, treat them a different mentality and mindset, really. And I'll, I'll go on that, Chaz. Because obviously you went from Rangers when you started and you're seeing yourself having been in a meeting two and a half hours with the midfielders, the youngsters there. When you was at that age and you was at Rangers, was you allowed to speak your mind as such? And was you allowed to voice your opinion or was it very much at Rangers? Right, you're the young lad. 
earn your stripes as such? No, it was like you said, it was about earning your stripes. And the one thing I used to do was when I was training with the, I used to train under 18s, or obviously training on the reserve team at the time. Sometimes I would always go to the gym because at the training complex, you can go and watch the first team training. So every day or majority of times I would go and try and watch the first team training. It was under Dick Advocat and you had Ronald De Boer, Barry Ferguson, Claudio Reyna was there, Kaneja was there, Arteta was there as a youngster. Arteta was 18, 19 at the time. And um, I went to watch them training every, trying to do as much as I can to learn from them. And the coaches used to like come in and say, get out of the gym, you know, what are you doing in here? But when really I was just trying to, I always, when I was a young kid, always wanted to be around the first team. I was always in the kit man's room, having a laugh and a joke with the kit man. But it wasn't because I felt I was any better. I was just trying to pick up on little tips of what the first team were up to. What were they doing after the games? Trying to clean the boots and that, just trying to be around the first team. If it was an away trip at Dundee or they're playing Dundee or Dundee United, I would go and help the kit man. Not because I wanted to, it was just to see how the, the first team players prepared for the games and all that. And I was just taking it all on board because that was where I wanted to, that was my aim. I wanted to get in that dressing room. I wanted to, to be in the first team. I wanted to move players at the way and, and try and be the best player I can be. And um, these small details made a difference to me, really, in my career. And, you know, it was, um, no, it was a great challenge because, let's say at that time, Rangers was one of the biggest clubs and it was, it was brilliant for me. Do you think it was um, only when you went to Blackpool, though, that the, the public got to see and start to see the, the real Charlie Adam as a football? Was Blackpool when you felt like you'd sort of broken through the, the ceiling, so to speak. Yeah, because I, I felt I, I was given more responsibility. When you're at a big club and you're a young player coming through, you're just a number. You're just that, or oh, you're Charlie Adam. You know, unless you're going to go and play and you be play every week, it's different. But when I went to Blackpool, I was, how can you say it? I was the main man, really. Everybody, everything was built around me. I was the captain. Everybody looked up to me to try and drag the football club and the, the team forward because I had a standard where I was at Rangers. I was used to winning every week or, or I needed to win every week to, 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 please, to please the supporters. So I took that to Blackpool and I still take it now that, listen, it hurts me now losing on a Saturday as it did when I was at Rangers. It doesn't matter. You, you, I hate getting beat. But I've understood how to deal with it a lot better as I got older. I don't bring it home. I don't, you know, I've got kids now. I've got a wife. They need to understand that but the odd Saturday I'll come home and I won't even I won't speak to anybody. I'll just sit and have a beer and watch a game, or or I'll just shut off and and it's just how, how bad would it have it, got though? Because if you say you've got better at it, was it like brutal when you were young and wanting to impress that mental side? Yeah, it was. It was just it was hard and it, and, it, and it hurt more. And it listen, it probably hurts more now as as because this is my team, this is my club I supported, so it hurts that little bit more than it did before. But what I'm saying is. It doesn't. It doesn't take over to a Sunday where I'm sat moping round. You know, I might just. I might come in and listen. I'm not a big drinker at home, so I might just have the odd beer watching it, the telly or something. But I won't speak to my missus or you know. I'll just. She'd probably be in bed or something like that. And when I get back, I'll probably just sit upstairs for an extra hour or an hour and a half on my own and think about what what's going on and and just chill out, um, play on my phone really, and then go to bed. But. When the kids wake up at half six, seven o'clock, you're back at it and you know, you're ready to go again on Monday because you want to try and win the next game. Charlie, did that come more? You know when you was at Blackpool, I know we talk about wanting to win, coming through range, but when you was at Blackpool and you was the captain and like you said, you was the main man, Ian Holloway was obviously the gaffer there at the time. Did he allow you to control the, the, control the dressing room? Sorry. Do you know what I mean? Did he, or did he have his, his say? No, he had his say, but the the lads policed the dressing room. We had a good group of lads, you know what I mean? And and I and I done something the other night with a, a Blackpool fans fo- um seaside podcasting and um I told them that back ten, twelve years ago when I was there, we were out twice a week. We'd probably have a few beers after the game, depends on the journey. So if it was say for instance we were playing at Plymouth, right? We played Plymouth in the season we got promoted. We played away at Plymouth, we won two 0 and we were on the bus for 10 minutes. Ollie stops the bus manager and he went, right, lads, get into that, that shop, load the bus up, get the beers on. Two minutes later, we stopped off fish and chips, everybody off the bus, on the bus. <laughs> and, and to be fair, at the time, we used to come back from away games 
and we'd be straight out into Blackpool. Six or seven lads would go out into, into town in their tracksuits, few beers. But we'd always try and at least once a month have a Sunday session where we'd always go Super Sunday in Lytham. Ten lads, twelve lads in the pub, twelve o'clock. Maybe probably when it was an old firm gamer. Yeah. And we'd be there to seven, eight o'clock at night playing games, drinking. You know, we'd have Andy Reid was on the guitar singing, we'd be singing in the bar, the locals would be singing ways and that. Perfect. But we had a team spirit and the bonding was just incredible and like you say, you kinda get away with that nowadays because of camera phones and whatever, mm. but that is a sign. That is a sign, Chaz. I think that is a sign, a big sign of a good dressing room. If you've got, a, yeah. not a, it's easy to say a drinking culture and all that stuff. No, but let me tell you, when shit hits the fan and you feel like it's going down a little bit, a good night out, a good Sunday session with the lads clears all the air, mate, don't it? It does. Yeah, because you, you know, you say things that you probably wouldn't say when you were sober or you were in a group of players. <laughs> People relax, and and you know what, lads, don't take it as personal when you've had mm. a drink you know you might be sat in the corner talking about it and you know not every player gets on with each other right let's just say yeah. about that but you respect each other and you might say things about each other or you might say it to them when you've had a drink then you might not say it in a, in a whole group because you some lads are shy or whatever but it's um i definitely believe that team spirit is massive and if you can get that right then you've got half a chance of being successful but look you talk about um team spirit and ian holloway is a real character You've touched on it briefly about him sort of allowing you as players to do what you want. But was he, yeah. is he like we would know him from watching him in interviews? Is he a bit mad? No, that's him. That's him. There's no, there's no different, you know, person behind the cameras. Listen, he's a serious manager. You know, he'll set his team up. He'll work hard. He wanted the lads to work hard. But if there was a laugh and a joke to be had, he'd, he'd be the first there. Like, Ollie, the amount of story, we'd turn up on a Friday and... He just go not for us today, lads. And we because we had a good group, we'd all want to train. You want you know what it's like in a Friday, you want little five asides yeah. round the edge, playing possession. He's like, let's go to the cafe. So we'd go up we'd go to the cafe for round the corner for the training ground. You know, the workers, all the builders and that, big greasy fry ups and that. He's like, ah, right, uh, just have whatever you want. So the lads were eating bacon rolls and having cups of tea and all that. This is on a Friday early before games. And the locals were in having their breakfast and that. And he's like, right, lads, uh, uh, on the bus, uh, one thirty at the stadium, we're going to say Peterborough, whatever, and that was us. No training. He just took the stress and the pain away for the lads, and he just he loved the laugh and the joke. But we we trained hard when when we had to, and um, gone done to it. Team spirit and good good senior players. And he got you noticed on um, I said no disrespect to Blackpool, but on a, a, a bigger scale because you got your your big signing uh, in, in in some aspects to Liverpool. How did that, how did that come about? Well, I I had um, obviously played well in the championship and um, got nominated. Did I get nominated for player of the year? Yeah, I got in team of the year in the championship, and then obviously we got to the Premier League. So there was no in, no interest in this that summer, which was you know when looking back you're thinking strange, but obviously you now played in the Premier League, so you're thinking that you know that was why. But then January came, and probably around about the early early January. I, my agent got a call from from uh, Damien Camoli or it was Kenny. One of them phoned them to say, "Listen, we'd be interested in Charlie, and how much would it cost? Do you think to get out?" And my agent was probably saying, ah, four million or something like that. Wouldn't it be a lot of money?" And we were saying, "Oh, okay then." But I was just buzzing when I got that opportunity. And then, as we could, as it as it happened, we obviously spoke to Liverpool. My agent had spoke to them and said, "Like, well, that was it." And uh, I went to Kenny's house. I got Kenny wanted to speak to me, so I went to Kenny's house, and um, you know, I drove there with my agent. Chapped on the door, he 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 opens the door, comes in, and he says, uh, "Do you want a cup of coffee?" Or that, and he, he sat with his slippers on, that watching the Masters. I can remember it. I can remember it well. The Masters was on, uh, and he was sat there watching the golf. And I said, "Do you want a cup of tea?" And that, yeah, I went, "Yeah, I'd love a tea, no sugar, milk, blah." What do you want? Coffee for my agent? He went, "Right, okay, kitchen's in there." <laughs> and I, was like, I said, I said, what? He says, yeah, kitchen's in there. So I've gone to walk into the kitchen now. So he gets up laughing and joking. So he's in making the bis- the, the teas and that. And he's like to me, uh, Marina's on holiday. That's his wife. And she went, um, she's on holiday. So I'm not sure if the milk's off or, you know, if there's any biscuits in. But anyway, there's a cup of tea and that. So we just we sat and spoke for about 10 minutes. 
And I must have sat there for about 45 minutes there, just looking, watching the golf with him. No even any conversation, just saying, listen, we want you to come, we'll try and get a deal done, but if it doesn't happen, mate, we'll, we'll look at it again this summer and you know we'll make sure it gets done. And I was like, oh, brilliant. So I was gone, obviously sat there for 10 minutes having a cup of tea, then that 45 minutes was just like, nothing actually was said, you know, but it was great. And come the summer, um, the deal was done. And I, I, let's say, can remember it well, sat in my house um, so and sorry in the January window the deal was off and that was when I put a transfer request in and I got a phone call late in the night this is like the, I think the transfer window closed at 11 and this is at 9.30 I get a call from from an unknown number and it's Jamie Redknapp saying listen I don't know how he got my number I said my dad's going to call you he wants to take you to Tottenham and I said okay so I was desperate I was thinking well yes I'll go to Tottenham like thinking brilliant let's go to Tottenham but it was just the deal never could never be done, and obviously Blackpool were playing hardball. So we get to to the summer, got relegated, and I was wondering where what was going to happen. I had one or two little nibbles, but I always had my heart set on Liverpool, and they'd spoke to me all the way from January to the summer and saying, "Listen, don't worry about it. We'll get a deal done. We really need you. We want you, and all that." And I was like, I was delighted, buzzing, greed contract, everything like that. And then um, Doomsday was. You know, it was like a Wednesday night or something. I knew there was a meeting happening with the the owner of Blackpool and the secretary and Liverpool at the Preston Marriott Hotel. And this was happening at seven o'clock. I knew by half eight, nine o'clock what was happening. So I got a call from the the secretary saying, listen, everything's agreed, you can go. So at that time, I'm 25. I wasn't driving her. So I had no licence to drive at that time. I was 25. Hadn't they passed my test? And um, <laughs> What was you doing? I don't know. I was just, I was just, too, I was just too lazy. <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't really needed it. Team bus everywhere. Yeah, my missus at the time. She was driving me everywhere, driving me to training every day. Takes, took me everywhere, and she was out somewhere. And I got the call and said, "Listen, you're doing a medical in the next. You know, can you get over to uh, the train the academy at Liverpool within the next hour and a bit?" I said, "Yeah." So I phoned missus. I said, "Where is she? I don't know where she was. Might have been in Manchester or something." I said, "Listen, the medical's happening. I need to go." All my mates were, were working. I said to my mate, one of my mates, I says, where are you? He says, oh, I'm round the corner for your house. I says, oh, okay then, pick me up. I says, I need you to take Liverpool. So I've gone, get a shower, get my suit on and that. He said, listen, mate, my car's at home, I'm in my work van. So I said, I says, what? He says, I'm in my work van, I'm in my work kit. I said, get it, bring me. So he picked me up in this white transit van, work van, he's a brickie. He took <laughs> He took me to he took me to Liverpool training ground in this white van, dropped me off. I'm in my suit, ready to go and do the medical. My agent's meeting me at the at, at Melwood, the training ground, and um, Kenny's there waiting, chauffeur, Mercedes car and all that. And I'm picked up with Kenny, and then so I get out of this white van. It was just it was surreal, and it was just it was just a brilliant year that you know. Let's say I was lucky enough to get that opportunity to play for such a great club. And you know, no, no, Charlie, you know, obviously that was the start now. So as you yeah. said earlier on with your career, you're going in and people obviously looking up to you. You see what they've got. You see what they've got in the dressing room and you're going in after, going off the back, individually a good, a good season for yourself. And you're going into yeah. the Liverpool dressing room thinking, right, what can I add? One, what can I add to this team? But two, the lad's going to have me because you've been in the dressing room, same as me. When new signings come in, you're thinking, yeah, he's a good signing for us. Or yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm unsure about him, you know. Yeah, no, and I was the same. I was so nervous for about a month. Every time I got the ball, I gave it away. I was thinking I could just listen. I I I don't mind saying it, but I look up to Stevie. I think he obviously one of the greatest players to play for England and and, and an absolute legend at Liverpool. And every time I gave the ball away, I was thinking, what's he thinking? Mm. Is he thinking I'm not good enough to play for this football club? Cara was the same. It's just because they had that presence and that aura when you walked in the dressing room. It was like. Are they judging me? Am I good enough to be there? But once I started playing and relaxed and played a few games, and obviously I set the first goal up for Suarez first day of the season um, against Sunderland, and obviously we drew one one. But then I felt more relaxed, and, and each game that I played, I felt great. And you know, I played twenty four pr- pr- uh, Premier League games in a row, and it was um, no, I loved it. I loved, I mm. loved it, and I, I ended up playing like thirty five. I think it was about thirty eight games I played the whole season there, and. Ended up winning the Carling Cup and I got injured against QPR, um, which ruled me out at the end, at the end of the season for the FA Cup final. Mm. Uh, for, 
for you to play with Gerard, who was obviously someone you looked up to, to be managed by Kenny, who I'm sure was an idol, to have Carrigo there as well. And then this player called Luis Suarez, who just so happened to be one of the best footballers in the world. I mean, in, in, tra- in training, I know Chaz just touched on it there, but are they doing things that not at any stage in your career you'd seen? Like, is Suarez, clearly he's phenomenal, but were you in awe of him in many ways, given what he could do on a football pitch? Or, or do, you, do you have to put yourself on their level? No, because Louis obviously come from Ajax and not many people knew who he was. But the big thing about these top players, Ollie, um, and Chaz will tell you, it's how they train is how they play. They're at it every single day. They don't have a day off. Like, they set a standard for everybody. Uh, and I hear Stevie talk about it before, but it's about everybody else trying to get back up, getting up to their level, you know, and we're all fighting to try and get to his level. So when I signed at the time, it was me... Jordan, Andy Carroll had signed in the January window, Stuart Downing signed, and I was walking to a dressing room that had Dirk Coit, Pepe Reina, Carragher, Bellamy, um, Daniel Agar, Glenn Johnson. Um, so it was, it was, it was overawing at the time, and it was a, it was a wake up call. But you know, you got to trust yourself on do the right things. What what got you there? But also, then you have to go to another level to stay there. You know the top players when they was there and people forget they get to the top and they're happy with that. They're not. When they're there, they want to go better, don't they? So was Gerard doing extra, Suarez extra, even more the players, all of them, all doing extra after training? Because you hear about, JT's talked about it at Chelsea, that they used to watch Lampard smashing balls, practising like the wobble now, how the ball... Then Drogba started. Then he says, JT said, I see them doing it. I wanted to stay out. Was that them? Was that Liverpool then doing that? Yeah, but the thing is, like, unfortunately for me at the time, Stevie had a few injuries. A groin, he had a bad groin injury, and um, I never really got to play the same team a lot with him. Mm. But uh, it's not like I wouldn't say he stayed out every day after training and was practicing like free kicks and things like that. He would just set his tone on the training pitch, okay, in the possessions, in the games. You know, hate losing, and Louis was the same. Him and Carragher used to batter lumps at each other. You know, like. There was times when some of the tackles were just outrageously ridiculous, but yeah. both of them wanted to win. There was a hunger and desire to to battle against each other, and it was just it was just great to see. And and we had a few young lads at like say at the time, myself, Jordan, Andy, John Joe Shelby, Spear, and Martin Kelly, people like that who just you know were young lads learning the game and and just being round it. But you know you had people like Craig Bellamy who would stay after they hitting free kicks and. Just top professionals every day. Now, obviously, you get to the end of the year, you've you've won a trophy, obviously the Carling Cup with Liverpool. Then you go on to Stoke. What are you think? Are you gone from the moment where you was at Liverpool and you're going and you're you're nervous because of obviously what squad you're going into? Now you're going to Stoke. Are you flip side in that? Where you're thinking, do you know what? I'll fit into this team. I'll get in there. I've come back off the year with Liverpool. I'm going to go there and and kind of be that main man again. It was strange because I'd gone there, hadn't spoke to the manager. <laughs> Obviously, I'd, I'd spoke to I spoke to Brent, I spoke to Brendan, and Brendan said to me, "Listen, the club need to get rid of you because finances." I knew that was a lot of rubbish. Yeah, you know, I said, "Listen, you know, for what they were going." I said, "Okay." Were you gutted about that? Oh, I was distraught, but I should have been. I'd worked so hard, and I should have just been resilient enough to say, "Listen, do you know what?" Nah, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I'll see what happens and maybe move in the January or in the following summer. But I just, I wanted to play. I felt I'm a player. I want to play every week. I felt like that was an opportunity to go and I, I probably, and it's one of the regrets I have, I probably left that year too early. Yeah. Um, but that's football and you make that decision. Yeah. I hadn't spoke to Tony Peels before I signed there and I walked in the door and Pennant said to me, Jermaine Pennant said to me, what are you doing here? I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he said to me, I says, what are you signing here for? I said, what do you mean? He says, this is not your football. This is You ain't going to play how you're going to like it. And I was sat there before doing the medical and I was, my agent was talking to, to the chief executive time trying to do a deal and I was thinking, what's going on here? Like, is it really that? And I was like, do you know what? Maybe that's him because he wasn't playing or something like that. Yeah. So I hadn't even spoke to the manager and um, so I'd gone there Signed. Listen, delighted to sign there because obviously I felt I was going to get an opportunity to play. I played, played a few games, 
And then the moment of truth really come for me is I lost my dad in the, the Christmas period, um, December. And um, so obviously he died. And then on the Saturday, we're playing Tottenham away and I missed the game, come back. And then things were a bit iffy a little bit. Do you know what I mean? With the manager and I was like, never really played. And come the January, he pulled me in. And he pulled me in and said, listen, not sure it's worked for both of us. No work for the club. It's no work for you. You're not playing you well. I think, I think, I think it's time, you know, if you can find yourself a move. I just signed a four-year deal six months ago and I was thinking, I've got three and a half years left. I says, all right, okay. And I got my agent and he went and said, said the same, ah, you, need, you, need to get, you need to get him going. You need to get him going playing somewhere else. So fortunate for me at the time, I couldn't go anywhere because I'd played for Liverpool earlier in the season in the Europa League. So you mm. can't play for three clubs in a one season. So that's, that stopped me from thinking, hold on a minute, because I probably would have moved again, eh? I would have just went, oh Do yeah, you? no problem, I would have. Do you think you'd have yeah, went? Yeah, I, I, would, I would have went, yeah, because I wanted to play. If he told me I'm not in the plans, um, I would have just probably went again. And I went, okay, no problem. So lucky for me, I couldn't play. So I never played until it was about March. And I can remember it well. We played QPR at Loftus Road. And I got chucked in on the right-hand side of midfield. Um, and we were struggling at the time. Mm-hmm. And we were close to relegation, and I think we, we beat his two 0 that day. We stayed up, and I stayed in the team then till the end of the season. And the manager got sacked. Sacked it. Well, they left in the summer, and then Mark Hughes come in, and and everything changed for me really. Uh, I've got to ask you about the screamer you scored from inside your own half at Stamford Bridge. Um, mm-hmm. Was that complete fluke, or was it all practiced in the extra hours in training that you used to do it? Uh... Well, I tried plenty of times, Ollie. If you obviously watched it, I'd. When I was at Blackpool, Liverpool, I tried it often enough, and um, I was fortunate enough for me eventually to come off at one point. And um, such a good feeling, yeah, I bet. Oh, it was unbelievable. Chelsea away against at that time probably one of the best goalies in the world in Courtois, and to to lob him from there was yeah, it was I was I was absolutely buzzing. Chaz, what's the furthest you scored from? Twelve yards. Um, I don't think six. Yeah, six. <laughs> I've, I went through my fifty goals at QPR, and I'm not joking. I think ten, twelve have all been from no more than three yards out. Happens. I think the furthest I've scored twenty five yards. That's it. Um, magic. Um, hey, you, go on, Charlie. You, you're not paid to score outside the outside the post, say you? These strikers. Correct. Don't give him an excuse. You know, Try and get one the, screen the old, there. It, it was the old Charlie Austin the other night, wasn't it? Yeah, sucked a, stuck, sucked a defender to the front post, to the back. Off the back of him. Bosh, header. See you later. Good thing I don't so. get. The thing I don't get is everyone knows what you're going to do. I watch and I know which run you're going to make. How come Correct. these defenders? But ev- Ollie, every goalie knew R nine was going to do the double step over, but they couldn't stop him, <laughs> mate. <laughs> um, got to ask you. Because for a series on Peter Crouch's podcast, there was this Who is Parched? And I believe he's now revealed that it was you. Did you know anything about this? No, Ollie, absolutely nothing. So so here's one thing. I had no clue about it. And looking back, and now I realise why. Because, Chaz will say, when, when we're in possession, <laughs> we finish it. And, and so what happened was I was... So when possessions were, were finished, I was always going over to like coaches and speaking, asking about, because I was thinking about my coaches head on and what I was talking about dimensions and why, what we did this for and what reason. I was asking loads of questions. And Chaz worked with Eddie and it's Vicky, who's a top coach and a great guy. So I was always asking him and the manager at the time and, and Bo and, you know, what is the, what, what's the reason for this? Because I wanted to learn and I was learning. And they were all having a drink in that. And obviously one day somebody's come up with it. And I never knew nothing about it. And the only reason I knew about it was I was playing golf one day and um, somebody texted me saying, what's this parts? No, what it was is I was at Redden at the time and the groundsman came up to me and said, who's this parched? And I was like, what are you on about? He says, oh, yeah, you, you know, people are saying it's you and that. And I was like, nah, it's not me. What are you on about? This is the groundsman. So I'm playing golf one day and my mate gets in the, mo- gets in the car and they were taking bets at one point in the bookies, weren't they? on who it was <laughs> so my mate said to me listen you're even money and I says what I says so listen so I've text Crouch I said listen big man be honest with me what's this part store about and I got this big long text back you're like well big man you know what it's like he says well you know you know when you were when we were all having a drink and that and you were over talking to the manager and that 
the name parts just come out of nowhere and we stuck with it behind your back and I, and I just, I buzzed off it. Do you know what I mean? I was loving it. And he's like, do you know what we should do? We should get you on the podcast and we'll reveal it's you. And I was like, brilliant, let's do it. Got on it. And um, yeah, no, it was um, obviously got hanging. And then I got, uh, somebody sent me a mug with um, parched on it. Huh? <laughs> and um, I was having a cup of tea and that. Uh, 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 that. So it was, uh, no, it was good. It was great fun. And like I say, that was gone down to a good, good camaraderie in the, in the dressing room. There are so many brilliant memories. Your career um, took you to the international stage and, and you played under some great managers there, the likes of Strachan and what have you. Scotland have now qualified for the Euros in that penalty shootout win last year, I think it was now. Um, how do you think they'll get on at the Euros if it's this summer, this summer? Well, listen, Ollie, we're, as a nation, we're delighted to be there. It was 20-odd years before we'd been in France. Night. It was the last time. Um, really difficult, but we're there now, the lads done brilliant and made it hard for ourselves. But um, no, listen, we're going there. Tough group, England, Czech Republic and Croatia. So, listen. Did you ever play England I, when you played internationally? I, I was on the bench once at Wembley, yeah. we I think we lost 3-1. What's it like? Kenny Miller's. Oh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant because it's... Um, it's, I think it's difficult when you play international football and you're playing against your club mates at times or lads that you know, it's 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 a bit different. But being at Wembley and Scotland fans at Wembley, obviously we lost, but it was um, it was brilliant. And, um, you know, listen, hopefully we could all go in the summer and watch because if we can, I'll be there and be hopefully as a Scotland fan trying to enjoy it. Um, yeah, good luck to Scotland in the uh, in the Euros. Um, and I don't mean that. I do actually. I'm... No, you don't. <laughs> no, if, look, I'll be cheering on England. Yeah, you're right. I don't mean that. <laughs> Is it that obvious? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people I speak to get a passion for racing from family members. Is that where it came for you? Yeah, it happened. I could. I, I still remember it. The old man used to go and put his little lucky fifteens on. You know. 20 quid, 20 pence, lucky 15s and that, just for a bit of fun, interest. And that's where you take it from. And you know, once he, he got a few winners, you know, a couple of times he picked up the four winners and, you know, picking up a couple of hundred quid and, and there was a real buzz about the house and things like that. And, it, and, you know, everybody has a little flutter on the national and things like that. So it was always there and it's just something I really enjoyed. Even, even just going to yards or, things like that. I, I get a buzz going to even see the horses just to going up the gallops and things like that. So it's, it's just brilliant, you know. And do you, did you have any horses growing up that particularly sort of really struck a chord with you and resonated with you? I think over the years, the great, you know, flat ones of Franco and, and you know, anything that, that Tony McCoy was on was, was something. I'd always, I loved, I loved the champ. He's a great guy, but also he was a great jockey, wasn't he? Um, you talk about Franco and um, things like that. So being able to then go to Royal Ascot, going to Cheltenham, going to the big meetings was just, it, it was great. And, you know, you know, lads start talking about, even in England, when I, when I was playing in England, come January, lads were talking about March already, right, are we going to Cheltenham? And that was the, the buzz, wasn't it? And then, you know, you, you take your wife once to, to Royal Ascot and then all of a sudden it's every year, are we going to Ascot in June? And, you know, you're preparing for that as well. Um the Cheltenham Festival is coming up in a few moments' time, Charlie. I will ask yeah. you for an anti-post selection because what we're doing is we're putting together a stud, uh, studs up sort of anti-post collection from all our guests. So I want to get your thoughts on uh, who you think is um, is going to win at the Cheltenham Festival. We'll do that in a moment. But as is always the case here on Studs Up, we have uh, the microphone handed over to Mr. Charlie Parklife Austin for his weekly rant. The floor is yours. What is Charlie's rant this week? My rant this week is the two red cards of David Louise and Jan Bednarak. One has been overturned, Bednarak's, and David Louise has stayed, so he will serve a suspension. How can that be a red card? Yes, they've made no attempt to get the ball, but Christ, they get a penalty, just give them a yellow card. The rule has to be changed. It's bonkers. I mean, now I see Rio Ferdinand after the game, Southampton Man United, saying, from now on, all I've got to do to defenders tell them to smash the players. So you're saying, because they didn't make an attempt for the ball, that is a red card. But if Jan Bednarak or David Luiz made a, a big challenge, tackled the guy, and it is a penalty, they only get a yellow card. 
The rule is wrong and needs to be changed. I think for me, watching it as a football fan who doesn't play the game and should just update the, the Bednarek, he's had his red card overturned. David Luiz hasn't. So they're two very similar incidents. And even in the review, they seem to not really know what's going on. I, as a football fan, am falling out of love with the game because I have no idea what's going on. As players, does it make you question the, the, the game? Charlie, Adam, what are your thoughts on what's going on at the moment? Shambolic. Uh, I, don't, I don't like VAR. I never have. I think it's spoiling the game. And when you've got an opportunity like that and you still can't get the right decision, then it's a huge worrier. And, and I'm with Chaz. I don't think that they either give a penalty or they book him for diving. It's simple as that. We had this, there was what, an incident in Scotland not so long ago where Morelos goes down, he gets clipped. And because the player never intended to play the ball, if he tackled, slid in and tackled him, he would have only got a yellow. And he ended up with a red card sent off, game over. So it's, it's spoiling the game and... You know, even if the players don't even understand the rules, how is everybody else who don't play the game, how are they going to understand it? It's, it's become a shambles at times and um, hopefully we'll, we can probably get rid of it, but I don't think we will. It needs to be used better. VAR is there to help, but it's causing more problems than what it's worth. It really how is. How can you be offside with your fingernail? Like, what? No, Charlie, offsides. not that. Last week, Danny Ings points where he wants the ball, is offside because his sleeve is offside. But let me tell you, if a cross come in and it hit his arm and goes in, they're giving handball. They're not saying that goal's counting because it hit him on the sleeve. They're giving handball. The rules for the offside, for the last man stuff, is bonkers. It's all wrong. The, the other thing is, as well, is as fans, you're obviously in the on the pitch and um, uh, we're watching at home, but... You, we can't celebrate, we can't, you know, the emotion of football, which is why we love it, the ones in the stands supporting you guys out there, is because that sort of unbridled, forget everything that's going on in your nine to five day jobs and whatever, and just lose yourself in this match. Well, now you go, there's a goal. Oh no, I don't know whether I can celebrate. Let me wait till it yeah. gets confirmed on a screen. Not even, and it, it's rubbish. There's no emotion in it anymore. Even that, right? Last night, so I do the Fulham Leicester game. Prime example, yeah? It's a prime example. Where the stadium's empty, it's only a certain amount of people in their media. The, the ref should trial explaining the vast situations and the decisions to all the people that's in the stadium. It doesn't need to connect to the, to the fans and stuff, but to trial it. So when fans do come back in, it's played through the stadium speakers. There's no reason for them not to trial this. They go to the screen. There's, so Mike Dean's talking to Graham Scott the other day. For the 50 to 100 media people that's in the stadium, they know what's going on because they can hear it. There's no reason for them not to trial it. It's bonk. The whole thing is a joke. Let's talk other football matters, though. One of the sending-offs happened in the Manus versus Southampton game. 9-0, a second 9-0 for Hassan Hootel in charge of Southampton. Is that just a write-it-off? I say one-off, it's a sort of two-off in the space of 12 months, but... Are those just freak matches that you as players would forget about if you were at Southampton? No. How can you forget no? about it? No, it well, can't. My, happened, last, my... happened last year. Ollie, don't use the red cards as an excuse. Ryan Bertrand got sent off after half an hour last last time against Leicester. And they go and concede okay. seven off the back of that. Okay, well, that's it doesn't matter if you have a man sent off. You don't matter if you have a man sent off at half, half an hour, two minutes into the game, or 70 minutes. As, as a manager and as a team, you've got to be resilient. You've got to be strong. All right, they go in at half-time, four down. Second half, you go, right, we ain't conceding no more. Just stay so is there, is there something clinically wrong at Southampton then that they're able... That no, that the manager plays 4-4-1. Four, 4-4-1, four, one. Four, four, one, they still try and press. Just sit in. Just sit in and let them have the ball, Man United, but be strong and solid. Surely you can't concede nine. Surely. I, not twice. Once, all right, freak, but twice, not for me. Charlie, what do you make of it? No, spot on. I, I totally agree with him. And also, I think the players on the pitch have got to look at themselves and say, hold on a minute. You know, as a captain, I would be saying, pulling your left winger and pulling your right winger, allowing it to go wide or whatever, but we keep it narrow, we keep it tight, and we don't concede. 
listen, if you concede one more, okay, it's acceptable. Five nils, okay. But to concede five, that's that's more than what you conceded in the first half. So tell me which chess. Tell sorry about it. Tell me in the second half which one. Okay, take away the eight and the nine after the penalty. But the next three, tell me which one of them was any good. They didn't carve Southampton over with quick one-two play around the edge of the box. It's like they just give up. Yeah. People's going to say is Charlie Austin having a, his say on Southampton again. Of course he's doing. No, it's not. It's me just having an opinion on a football game that I just see one side walk all over another. Yeah. Uh, so there was the 9-0, which um, lots of people have spoken about. Um, what else has happened in the world of football? Um, you, you, saw, you said earlier that Fulham, the signs aren't great there. Do you, do you think yeah. already, I know obviously it's difficult for you, Chaz, to say because you're obviously with West Brom, but Charlie Adam, do you look at it and think that the, the three teams that will be going down into the championship are sort of already set in stone to a certain extent? It, it is. It's a bit of a worry. Obviously, Sheffield United have had a couple of decent results in the last few weeks, but They've left it too late, I think. Um, and I think the three that are there at the moment will will, will go down. The, my, my worry for, for West Brom, and this is my opinion, Chaz is obviously still contracted there, is that they're shipping so many goals and that's the worry. Big Sam was always, when he come in, he's like clean sheets and they're still shipping goals left, right and centre. So that's a huge worry for them. But, um, but listen, you, you're in a difficult position. It's, it's tough, the Premier League, and... When you're in that rut and you're losing football matches, it's hard to hard to change it. It's the it's the team spirit from what you know, Chaz, still there at West Brom. Though we talk about spirit heads dropping, etc. We've talked about that yeah, throughout the podcast. Do a, they still that, believe that they can stay up? Yeah, definitely. I, I do believe they do because they've got a good group and a good core, and they brought players in. I do believe in the lads. They've got a good team spirit there. A good big Sam's got a good record, so you have to back them. Final question about this week's football. Um, Charlie, you've played under some some interesting managers, some characters. We've touched on Ian Holloway, Gordon Strachan at Scotland. I wanted to ask you about Sean Dyche's um, press conference. Did you see that? The lookalikes. <laughs> I, listened, I listened to it this morning on the way in. It was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. phenomenal. What did you make of it? No, I just thought it was brilliant. Like He was just like, right, let's stop. This is boring, isn't it? Yeah. We're all bored of these same media things every week. So let's say, you ever play... Lookalikes where your mates are. Does it get really boring for you, lads, asking the same questions in the run-up to matches? Well, listen, I think for the managers it is and the players, it's the same thing. You can't be controversial, can you? You just say the no. same thing. You respect your opponents and whatever. But, you know, Sean's obviously come out with a bit of humour and, it, and it's, it's gone down well, really, for the, for the public. One thing you've got to take into account as well when you do media before games is that never give the opposition their team talk. For me, Watford on Monday night almost just pushed us to one side and we're going to roll us over. And, mm. and that was enough for us to go, right, all right, well, we're going to show you then. So you've always got to be careful what you say before the games because you never want to rile up the opposition dressing room. I think you're always better going the other way and buttering them up and saying, listen, a good side and mm. good players and everything like that. Because like you say, Chaz, and, and, and you do look at it, every player says they don't, but they look at what everybody else is commenting on, what they've said, and if there's anything wrong, it's in your mind and it fires you up and you think, even if it's a player that said something, you say, by the way, first five minutes, he's getting it. And, and that's, how it, that's how it works. So psychology is massive then, isn't it? In terms of mindset going out onto the pitch against teams who might have said something that annoyed you or the other way. Oh, huge, huge. And we, let's now put that into there, we had the situation earlier in the season for Dundee there was a, a TV show where these four lads would, were, were slaughtering us, saying, oh, they signed Adam, they signed this, the manager's not good enough, they'd be lucky if they don't get relegated. So the manager put like a, a game, a, 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 a video together, put it up on the screen in the dressing room before the game. It was about five or six minutes long. They ha- these lads hammered us uh, on the telly. We played it and... Um, I think it was against, I think we were playing our broth on the Saturday. We put it against this and they, they hammered us, fired us up. We won 1-0 and we've never looked back. Okay, we got beat the weekend, but we went on a game of un, eight unbeaten. We're you know, third, fourth in the league. So it, that inspired us, do you know what I mean? Where at that time we were struggling a little bit. Listen, we were we were in a bad way and we're losing games and we're losing goals, but that, that, that fired us up and we used that to advantage and we wanted a great run. So hopefully that, that would inspire us and, you know, you know, and that's what you, you use it for. Um, Chaz, before I ask you both for who you think you look alike, uh, is Sean Dyche a good manager? 
Premier League yeah, series. Yeah, very good. Man manager, he's got a good coaching staff. He is one of them that you want to play for. He is one that you want to run for a brick brick wall for. And he rewards you. Win games of football, days off. That's what footballers want. You, do you know what I mean? You get your, you get your days off, you win games of football for him. But one thing, I, one thing I liked the most about him on a personal level, I failed a medical at Hull and I was adamant I was going. Premier League, I come back and he just sat down for half an hour with me and just said, look, these six weeks are so important to you you as a footballer, because you've got to get that fitness ready for the season, whether you are here at Burnley or whether you leave. And and I was like, okay, let me tell you, he give it to me every single day to make sure my standards didn't slip. I wasn't sulking. I went to Ireland on a pre-season tour and got battered by him every single day. And it's probably the fittest I'd been for a long, long time. And albeit two days before the season started, I, I was sold to QPR. So he's good, man. Mm. Oh, go on, go on then. <laughs> I'll put you on the spot here. Do you get, have you been told you look like someone in the past? Russell Crowe, Liam Zemsworth. Listen, Liam Zemsworth, I was in a, I was in a uh, restaurant in Florida with the missus, right? So people used to message it to me on Twitter and I say to my, my missus, say, look at this, babe. This, they think it's me. No, it's not. No, it's not. Anyway, I'm back to this girl. I stand up and she goes, excuse me. I said, yes. Yeah. Are you Liam Hemsworth? I was like... Yes, I told you. Yes. Do you know what? Can I? I'm going to let you into a secret. That's amazing because when we did the first podcast, I put a photo of us recording it on Instagram, and someone sent me a direct message, and I'm trying to find it now. Here we go. They went, "Oh my god, I thought that was Liam Hemsworth for a moment." Yes. <laughs> Get in there. Uh, that is the racing presenter Tom Stanley's wife, Lauren Stanley, that sent me that. And um, yeah, so it's what about you, Charlie? Uh, listen, I've been called everything, really. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, parched. I could be, yeah. I could listen, Ollie. It could be anything for me. I get slaughtered with everything, my teeth, whatever. But hey, that's for, that's life, isn't it? It's yeah. you get on with, it and um, I just you laugh it off, have a laugh and a joke, and don't take things too serious. Correct. Right, all right. Well, I'm gonna because because there's two Charlies. You should have told me that at the start, Chaz, because I could have referred to you as Liam throughout, and then would have made my job a lot easier. Um, oh, referring no, to Charlie. I'm so buzzing. Someone messaged you that, mate. So buzzing. Uh, it's brilliant, isn't it? We can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, racing coming up this weekend is incredible. It's the Dublin Racing Festival, and some of yeah. the really big names from Ireland. Um, I know that Chaz and Charlie are looking forward to seeing an action, the likes of Shaqan Pursois. You've got Min, Eno Janine, who's a really exciting prospect. You've got Honeysuckle. You've got the Irish Gold Cup with Manella Indo. The list goes on. And as well as that, we've got grade one action from Sandown. We saw Shishkin win last weekend. The racing coming up this weekend is superb and uh, can't wait for that. Um, just to let you know that Skybet, as always, they have got uh, an offer for the racing and a great offer this weekend from Leopardstown on Saturday. They're paying seven places instead of four in the 350 uh, at Leopardstown on Saturday. So do bear that in mind. Charlie, Adam, um, not Liam, Charlie, Adam, uh, these horses that are coming up this weekend, they are the the, the cream of the crop in Ireland, aren't they? Uh, listen, they're the... They're the... The, the top 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 uh, horses in the in the in Ireland, and um, it's always great to see them out. And Honeysuckle obviously coming out to one every race, and Manila Indo's out as well. So it'll be interesting to see getting ready for Cheltenham. So uh, I'm looking forward to to seeing what comes out. Definitely, and actually, as we build up to Cheltenham on Studs Up, this is one of the key weekends, I guess, when you're trying to formulate who you will fancy come Cheltenham Festival time, because it's probably the last time that we'll see Shaq and Pursoir in action before Cheltenham, etc. So it's a massive weekend. And as always, uh, we have got a double, a studs up double for you. Um, and this is brought to you by Oddschecker and, um, and Skybet, um, the studs up podcast and the double you can find on Skybet on the, the tabs. Just, I'm sure you will know by now. But anyway, you can track it down on Skybet and you can side with me and Charlie if you want. And I'm do you want to go first, Chaz, or shall I? Yeah, I can only apologise to listeners for last week. One for Ollie's poor selection on the Friday, and at least I ran into third. So this week, 
I'm not even going to give you time to answer there, mate. This week, I am going for Shan Blue in the Silly uh, Isles Novice at Sandown. For me, three jumps, three wins out of three over the fences. It's going to take this one. It'll take all the beating come Saturday. Shan Blue for Charlie. Um, I actually did a really interesting jockey masterclass with Harry Skelton about Shan Blue. He's a brilliant jumper, and I should just say, because I absolutely butchered it a few moments ago. But if you do want to find the Sky Bet studs up double, then head to the specials tab in the horse racing market. <laughs> I thought I could style it out, but I was so bad that I thought I actually best go and correct myself. But anyway, that's where it is. So Shamblu for Chaz. That's in the grade one on Sandown on Saturday. For me, I'm going for Enerjanim in the Arkle trial at Leopardstown on Saturday. Um, those are two novice chasers with massive futures. Enerjanim is a horse whose sectional times from his wins are phenomenal and he looks the real deal. And actually, uh, we mentioned about um, Shishkin and Shishkin's a very short price favourite for the Arkle at the festival. Well, I think Enerjanim is going to serve it up to him and I fully expect him to win on Saturday. So looking forward to that. Have you ever owned horses? Yeah, I've had a few. I've had a few over the years. Yeah. Any good ones? Or are they all? Yeah. Well, uh, funnily enough, I had a. Uh, had we bought. A, I bought one uh, with Michael Owen at his yard um, called Fine and Dandy, and we won at the chest the May Festival oh, meeting. Amazing. And we, um, yeah, he won by about eight lengths in the mud, um, Kingscote Road, and you know, I was brilliant. Were you there that day? Was, I was there. Yeah, I was there, and um, I was brilliant. Chester. Is, rock, is rocking in May. It's an unbelievable place on the Rudy in the town. Yeah. Um, must have been some buzz that. Well, listen, we need an anti-post selection off you for Cheltenham. Ali McCoist set it off and went for Royal yeah. Pagali in the Gold Cup. Am I right there, Ollie? Yeah, in yeah. he went Cup. for that horse, Venetia's horse in the Gold Cup. What yeah, we got? are yes. also, just to let you know, we are doing a table, so we will know where... The horse is finished and that. I hate for so, you to come at the bottom. It's only one or can I have? I've got two two that I fancy. Yeah, no, two. One. Two? What? Two. Double up. I'm going to go Brave Man's Game from for Paul Nichols for John Dance. Yeah. The, and one from Gordon and Elliot. I'm not sure where he's going run, to run yet. Um, I'll have a look now. It is called... Iscaria 10. Yeah. I think that's owned by... Um, is that owned by Kenny Alexander? Might be. Anyway, I'll check it out. But uh, Honeysuckle's on, yeah. owner. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. Um, but I don't know where it's going to run. Right. One of them two. Oh, you we... can have two. You can have two. Is that all right, Chaz? You see, you, you're the party pooper there. You can. You wanted him to only have one. Yeah, if you had to have if, one... If, if, if I have to have one, I'd go for Brave Man's Game. In the Ballymore? Um, the two, yes, two and a half... Ballymore... Yeah, that probably makes ah. it easier <laughs> easier for Chaz to keep a note of it. Yeah, if it we does. just have it's one itch, he wants a column. He wants to highlight when people have winners and losers. And well, we do you know in. when these, especially if we have returning guests, mate, we can't be asking them for their selections if they come in the in the relegation zone. That's no good. We should do that promotion and relegation. Yeah, <laughs> um, Charlie, what have you got coming up um, over the next few days? I have three games next week. Um, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. So, tough week. How's it on the old body, that? Three games in a week? Um, it's Yeah, it's taking its toll, but, um, you know, the recovery is taking the extra couple of days is nice, but um, mm. no, ready to go. And I, I, listen, I just you just plod along, keep going and trying to play as well as you can because you're a long time retired. And what about you, Chaz? Well, we've got Blackburn on Saturday and then a free week and we play Bournemouth, then it goes... I think we've got seven games in five weeks. I think Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. But like Charlie said, long time retired. You want to enjoy every moment and keep playing. That's what we do. That's what we're paid for. Have smiles on our faces and do what we love, Ollie. Absolutely. And this is me doing what I love. I don't score goals or set up goals like the uh, the pair of Charlies that I've been chatting to throughout the course of this podcast. <laughs> But I do get to talk to some um, some incredible people. And, and Charlie, your career is just that. It's incredible. So congratulations on what is still a, a fantastic career. Good luck with, um, I would say, your horses. But now I've got to say your daughter's pony in the upcoming Horse of the Year shows and what have you. Best of luck at the weekend with the matches coming up. And Chaz, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to have you as my studs-up strike partner. Have you enjoyed it, mate? 
do you know what, mate? Loved it. Loved Good. it. Eased into it. Last week, bit nervous. This one. You were, weren't you? Last week, yeah, I was Why? a bit nervous. Don't know. Hey, just a bit. Because of super. Yeah. Me, no, I was out of my comfort zone, wasn't I? He, oh, yeah, um, then, he, he texts me straight afterwards. He goes, oh, first five, ten minutes. I was so nervous. I thought that was very sweet because I didn't think um, a, a Hollywood actor as successful off? as you Why would you get showing nervous. Off? Why are you showing off? <laughs> <laughs> that was my, that was showing off. No need for that. <laughs> I was nervous, mate. Nervous, but now I'm into it. Now exactly. I'm into it. I, and I, you know I, what? The good at me all the time. The good news is that there are lots of you out there that seemingly are into it as well. Because I have to say, the reaction to episode one was mm. incredible, and loads of you clearly have told people about it. You've liked. You've subscribed. You've downloaded it on your podcast platforms and please continue to do so because we as you can see absolutely love uh, love doing it we love speaking to people like charlie so thank you for listening to another edition of studs up um brought to you by odds checker and skybet and we will be back same time same place next week for more of the same we'll see you then